Hi there. Welcome to podcast number four. How amazing. Our fourth full-length podcast just for your pleasure. Hey, Paul. I can't believe it's number four already. I know. We've done... uh, We've done quite a lot of work on these podcasts, but we quite enjoy them. Yeah. Otherwise, we wouldn't do them. No. No, no. We have been chatting recently about changing things, haven't we? So we're we're looking at different things. Yeah, and actually, let's stay on that subject for a moment, because we have decided to change things up a little bit, both in the videos and the podcasts. We're actually recording this at the beginning of the week. But it's mm. going to go out on a Friday. Friday. So we are changing things a little bit because we found that since we stopped doing our live show on the Friday night, I think quite a few people were sort of maybe a little disappointed by that. They were missing it. And missing it. So yeah. we've decided to put this out on a Friday evening. And then there'll be Sunday chat on YouTube as well. Sunday chat. And then there'll be possibly a couple of other things happening during the week that won't be maybe regular, regular things, but this will be a regular show on a Friday. So by now, you should have heard that because we'll have posted it on social media and told you what our new plans are. So this is, you know, Friday night slot. Welcome to Friday. You made it through the week. And I did it. I think we're going to have it going out at six o'clock, aren't we? UK time. So it sort of coincides with what used to be Friday Live. Possibly. Possibly you'll know by now what time this came out. (laughs) Because it will be up. But we haven't quite decided at the moment. You know, that's the thing, though, isn't it? About having regular things. It's sometimes a little bit boring for me. I don't like... I like a routine daily. I like my daily, you know, get up, have breakfast, shave, shit and shower. You know, I like that regularity. But sometimes with work, I like things to be a little bit looser. And I think if this starts to feel too work-like and too regimented, I begin to get a little bit... Frustrated. Well, not and fr- bored. no, it's not frustrated. That's not the emotion. It's sort of bored mm. with the regularity of things. So sometimes I really believe that you need to shake things up. It's like a good artist, say a good recording artist, always gives you something new. Madonna. You know, you've she got was to have... always reinventing herself. Well, wasn't look she? at Kate Bush. Yeah. I mean, she always yeah. does something fresh and new in each album that she produces because she wants to do something fresh and new. And it's the same when you're doing YouTube and podcasts, you know, difficult, blogs. difficult to do in a podcast unless you start introducing music and things like that. And I've listened to a couple of podcasts and it's like there's too much music on there. This mm. is meant to be content. You know, I don't want to start filling gaps with music, really. However, we are looking at some guest appearances on our podcast. Yeah, but not as a filler. No, not as a filler. No, not as a filler. Absolutely. I must say I like routine. So I like the Sunday chats. I like the idea of this on a Friday. At, I didn't at say six anything o'clock. about that. I wasn't talking about you. I was no. talking about me and what I like. But you, yeah, but that intimated that I don't like doing the Sunday chats, and that's not true. No, you, you inferred. From no, that. I didn't infer. No. I don't think so. And then there, as Richard says, there'll be other things during the week. Obviously, there'll also be my blog, which is at richardandpaul.com forward slash blog. I'm trying to do three every fortnight. Um, I think by the time you listen to this, there will actually be another short blog up as well uh, with something that happened today, which I'll finish off tomorrow. So, yeah. Yeah. Changing things around a little bit. Well, the thing is, I like change. I like change. I embrace it. I think it's good for us to have change. I think things can become stale. 
Mm-hmm. You know, stale and boring. You know, I'm not afraid to use the word boring. I think it's good for us to get bored with things because it stimulates creativity. And we can move on to other things then. Well, you know, they, they say about kids, you know, let children get bored. Don't fill their time with devices and games. Let them get bored. Let them get to a stage where they have to create something because that's important for everybody, I think. And people say, you know, oh, I'm not creative. Everybody is creative in some way, shape or form. Maybe you've not found your creative outlet. Maybe you've not found what really makes your creative juices flow, you know? And it can be many different ways, can't it? I mean, our our creative sides are very different. Well, it's what works for you. But the one thing that I used to encourage people to do when I was working as a coach is to look back at your childhood, to go right back to what really absorbed you as a child and really took your attention and really, you know, took your focus and gave you enjoyment because that's the authentic you. Mm, mm. That's that's how you started off. And whatever that was a product of, it's the most authentic part of you. So try and go back to it and try and rediscover how you felt about that. I mean, you know, I always wanted to be singing and performing in some way shape or form or directing something I mean my my sisters will tell you when we used to play I spent most of the time saying now you say this and then you do this it was like I was directing some kind of movie or play and that's kind of what I enjoy you know I enjoy putting something together which is showing something whatever that might be you know, I probably would have been good at theatre directing. I'm not sure. And mine is similar. I think we discussed this a year or so ago, whether we discussed it on a YouTube video or not, I'm not sure. But I used to absolutely adore growing vegetables more than more than flowers. But I, I like flowers as well. But I always loved growing vegetables I always loved writing and my friends and I, we used to write scripts together. They were generally sort of fantasy horror or thriller murder mystery type scripts and we would act them out and we would film them. And I'm sure my my friends or two of my friends in Guernsey or one's in Guernsey and one's in London now, I'm sure they must have clips of some of the footage that we took when well, we were 11, them. 12 and 13. Bloody yeah, ask them. I should do. I should do. God, I think that would be amazing if you think you've got clips of you. I, we, I've definitely got clips of me as a child. Have you? Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. My granddad oh, no. used to do Cinefilm. You've he seen them. To, he, yes, when you went on holiday to on to the broads, didn't you? Norfolk I've, broads and, yeah. um, and Wales as well. You've seen them. Yeah, I've seen those. They're on video They're somewhere. They're on video. Or DVD or whatever. We never had a... Um, I'd like a copy of those, actually, if my sisters are listening. I might speak to them because I could put them on YouTube. Mm. We had... Um, you need to get everyone's permission in there to put them on YouTube. Oh, most of the people are dead. Mm. Um, we used to... We only had cameras, still cameras, in our household. We never, never had... Never had, what do you call it, a cine, cine film... Uh, cine cameras we didn't have any um it just it just wasn't something that we did um it didn't come to mind and it was only when I was with these friends when I got to secondary school um as I went to a place called Elizabeth College and they were there as well that we we started we met we became friends and we started doing those things and actually all of that developed into two years with me managing a, a pop group um, in London when I was 18 and 19. It's sort of extraordinary, really, when I think about the the path of my life. But, yeah, you're right. We 
you you look at what was true when you were a child and i'm sort of starting to relive that now or the writing part of that now with my blog and obviously doing the growing of the vegetables with the allotment and with the community gardens so yeah interesting interesting thoughts and i suppose we just get into that spiral of life don't we of having to move out of home find our own paths get jobs get places to live and just go through life well we become preoccupied with the earning of money to pay bills yeah and you know i've said it before the government requires us to be tax-making machines. You know, as far as the government is concerned, we are just numbers that create money to pay them and to help the country function in terms of its infrastructure. That's all we are. Yeah, you we're know, fodder for the system. We are fodder for the system. You know, just another brick in the wall. Mm. And... Mm. Um, uh, it, that is the truth of it, you know, and yes, we do have freedom of speech. Yes, you know, we as gay men are free to, you know, say what we like in society and hopefully free from persecution, unlike some societies. Um, but essentially, you know, you get sucked up in the day to day stuff. And actually, it it's so difficult unless you have something which is totally unique and totally, totally out there and you're extremely confident and pushy, you ain't got a cat in hell's chance of making it, mm. really, you know. Um, so not everybody can be exactly who they want to be. The cogs need people to help them turn in society, you know. And the thing is, I look back at my working life and i've worked in so many different places done so many mm. different jobs mm. Mm. Me you too. know yeah um because you needed to earn some money um so many different things and that's what you do and you get caught up in that and creativity very often that there isn't space for creativity in life until you get a little bit older because creativity on its own doesn't earn any money unless the product is amazing yeah and as you say unless it's it's unless it's actually very the same as something else or very very different oh, God, to yeah. something well, else you know everybody's churning out the same old shit these days aren't yeah, they yeah well particularly in music and oh, a lot yeah. in film and things but, but occasionally I, I there think... are ones that that break through that you listen to and think oh yeah that is that is a little bit different that is away from the mold yeah yeah you know and that's what i like I like things that, that break the mould that, that aren't the same, you know? I remember someone saying years ago, and I think it said far, far too often, you can be whatever you want to be. You can be whatever you want to be. That's what people get told. And actually, that's such a misnomer because it's not really true. So many other factors come into people being successful in the things that they would like to do, whether it be class, which is still a big thing, whether it's education. But most of the time, it's opportunity, because you might want to be prime minister one day, but unless you actually get the right opportunities from early on, it's very unlikely that you will become prime minister and it's the same for any job so even though it's great to aspire to what you would like to do it's also important to be realistic about how challenging that can be and i think there's too much emphasis currently on people wanting to be exactly what they want to be rather than helping them get to where they could get to in life but i think it's always that that kind of message coming across from popular culture is 
very often reinforced by the following decade. So, for example, you know, you had the 80s, which was all about money, 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 and the rise of the yuppie and business and entrepreneurs and all of that. Then that sort of filtered through into the 90s, where the popular culture messages were filled with, you know, either be who you want to be or drop out, mm. you know, because there was that sort of... Um, hedonistic thing came through where it was just about pleasure yeah literally yeah. with rave culture and you know the rise of acid house and all of that so it kind of filters through and then into the noughties it kind of became more sort of towards look the way you want to look because we had the rise of the image that was ultra important, that perfection thing that came through. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Which has led rise to ha where we are today, which is all about looking perfect on Instagram. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And it, it's kind of, it's what I'm trying to say is it sort of opened itself up to everybody. And if you can look good on camera now, then you've made it. You're there, regardless of what's behind that. But have you? Have you well, made no, it? In your mind, you have. Right, okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You've got 3,000 followers on Instagram because you did a, an amazing photo of yourself with big eyelashes and fantastic makeup. In your mind, you've made it. You're there. You've done it. Do you know what I'm trying to say? I'm not explaining myself no, very well. No, I, I do know what you're trying to say. And I, I think we've gone through that with the various things that we have done but, as Richard and Paul over the past couple of years. But no, what I wanted to go on to say, though, is that coupled with that image thing that, you know, oh, I look perfect, there is the duality in that of the huge disappointment that a lot of people experience, I'm sure, because your life doesn't match the image you know, you see, and I'm going to be a bit judgmental here, but you see these girls walking around and they have got all the makeup on and you just know that they've put their makeup on. They've thrust themselves out for the day to go shopping in Lidl and mm. inside they feel this is it. I look great. I'm out here. I'm shopping in Lidl. And I'm having a great time because I look perfect. I've done my face. I've done my hair to go out shopping in Lidl. Mm, mm. So on some level, they are feeling immensely satisfied by that. Yet, when you really look at their lives, they're just the same as anybody else. Yeah, yeah. Trudging you know? through it. Trudging, exactly. And then as life moves on... <laughs> There's the staggering disappointment of, is this it? Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think you're, <laughs> you're you're bang on there. You know, absolutely. And I think it's sort of that that sort of feeling has motored along in the past ten, fifteen years, um, because you've also had all the reality shows feeding all that information. You know, look, I was just a nobody. Now I'm somebody. It, Do you know? It, so there's that striving to be somebody and all these platforms available to people to try and be somebody. And yet at the end of the day, most of us, unless we've got something very, very special that people want to make money out of and can make money out of, we're just the same as anybody else. Mm. And therein lies the disappointment in life in general. And I think I think therein lies the fact that it just shows that these reality shows that have become known as reality shows are actually just conformist and they are not showing reality whatsoever. No, and they're I, not. I think we think they are and they absolutely aren't. It's a it's a microcosm of people 
And but what is reality, Paul? That's well, no, the thing. I mean, that, that Everybody is, has their own that. reality. But people people do think that you go on to things like X Factor and what other reality shows that there are because we don't watch them. And you're, you, you join a line, you go up, you sing, and if you're good enough or you're interested enough, you get asked onto the show. And actually... It's so, so far away from that. You, Many people are actually auditioned before they even get into that queue to make sure that they are in the queue. So auditions go on for so many reality shows months before the public even get to get a look in to start queuing outside to do their auditions. Well, my sister was invited for an audition. She was, Exactly yeah, like exactly. that. Exactly. Exactly. For X Factor, I think it was. I'm not sure. And they, I, I suppose it's similar to that um, <clears throat> Mary Berry program that, you know, they, they were, they've clearly been scouting YouTube videos to have landed on us and asked us whether we'd like to apply for for that show, which, which of course, we said no. We but... told them to fuck off, basically. Well, we didn't tell well, them Well, we did we in not said, so many thank words. thank you very much, but no thank you. I'm not going to be drawn into that TV malarkey, really. I'm not. I mean, I, I would turn most things down unless they actually had on a piece of paper, we are going to pay you X, Y, Z mm. for so many episodes, blah, 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 and it was a good deal. Then, yeah, I'd say, yeah, but no, no way. But I think it would also have to be the proper type of programme. I mean, we something which actually had a resonance for the way that we live our lives. Yeah, well, TV don't work like that, love, Well, it, it doesn't, I know. No. I mean, we both know that only too well. Oh, yeah, let's not get drawn into talking about that. Again. Speaking about, t <laughs> speaking about TV, of course, this is the time of year, mid-November, where we've oh, just become inundated, inundated. Is it inundated or inund Inundated. Inundated with bloody fucking TV Christmas adverts. Oh, God, they drive me insane. And you know what? It really annoys me. I'm so glad we've got TiVo. Yeah, yeah. So we, so we, we can, record everything we that can we pause watch. And we can pause it and skip things. But the TV Christmas advertising, well, most TV advertising, to be absolutely honest, it really, really annoys me that they use the emotional angle so often now to try and pull at your heartstrings. Well, it's a constant, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, um, you know, this emotional angle which involves, you know, fluffy creatures and little dragons and a little girl. Oh, and is there a dragon? There's that stupid John Lewis thing oh, with I the dragon seen, oh, thing. I don't watch any, so... And, um, you know, I've seen... Oh, is that Ingelbert or something? Oh, I don't know. Don't make mm. it even more popular. <laughs> you know, it's, it just annoys me because, actually, most of the Christmas advertising is aimed at children because they damn well know that the kids are going to mither and mither. Can I have one of those dragons, mummy? No, you can't. Get out and shut up. Children should be seen and not heard. That's how they used to treat us as kids, I tell you. Was but, it? Yeah. yeah I, I, we were Children a bit should be seen that. and not heard. Um, but it annoys me because that's who it's aimed at. I remember being, I don't know, six... And saying to my mum, you need to get one of those hostess trolleys, mum. <laughs> it would make your cooking better. <laughs> yeah. And she said, where on earth have you got that idea from? I said, I saw it on the TV. Their food looked lovely. And um, she was a bit annoyed. But, you know, because they, they try to aim things at the kids. Really? Well, I, I think I think they try to aim it at that family, that nuclear family of yeah, everyone the being happy and together. Yeah, but they know the kids will pick up on it. The kids will pick up yeah. on it and they will mither the parents for whatever it is. But anyway, this time of year, heartstrings, please, sick bag. It makes me vomit. It really does. It doesn't work on me. 
really doesn't. And I'm trying to analyse why I don't get a warm fuzzy from those stupid Christmas adverts when people go, oh, look at that. Oh, lovely. It makes me want to cry and think of all the people who've died in my family who I won't ever see again at Christmas. Oh, I remember when I was a child and da 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 da. Oh, please get a life. Move forwards. Be in the present, not the past. Uh. I'm sorry I'm so cynical about it. I really am. But it. I don't know. For me, a warm fuzzy is coming home to a warm house, having a comfortable chair to sit on and being able to relax in a nice environment. That's a warm fuzzy. But it's it's about buying, isn't it? It's I mean, everything now is driven completely for people to buy, 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 buy. Well, yeah, we live in a consumerist society. We've said it before and we'll say it again. No, I can't bear it. I can't bear this time of year. The one thing I do like about this time of year is the darkness, as we've said before. But it's really been cold today. Did you notice? Really bitingly cold. Well, I was down at the plot today and I I was... Well, you were I working. I was doing things. I, I was moving bricks around and I I found it rather lovely. Well, I found it rather cold. My nose was frozen on the way home from work and it's only a six minute walk. I know, it's crazy, isn't it? What a commute. But, you know, this time of year, Christmas advertising, avoid it like the plague, really. Well, it, I, I was talking to Richard earlier, we were talking about this, and I said that I'd seen something recently, it was earlier today, about George Monbiot, an article that he wrote, and I thought it had been written recently, but actually it was written... Uh, seven years ago now and he talks about the pathological consumption that we have at this time of year and that actually gift giving isn't driven by buying something because you know it's going to be beneficial for somebody else very often gifts are bought simply so that you have something to give and I think that is that's true and I know that I have given mum and dad in the past a number of gifts that I thought would be quite fun and one of them was a plastic flashing duck that they could use in the bath and it's still in its packaging today sitting on the side of mum's bath and I think we need to be very wary about what we do buy because he was saying that a whole load of trash basically gets bought as either stocking fillers or just, oh, well, they gave us five presents last year, so we better give them six this year because we only gave them four last year. And it's more about how many presents that you give someone rather than giving them something that they really want or they really need or is really going to be inspiring to them or beneficial to them. And what he is saying is that so much of this stuff that gets bought at Christmas is seen as amusing on the first day, daft on the second, embarrassing on the third, and by the twelfth day of Christmas, it's actually already in landfill. Uh -huh. And I think we need to be wary of what we buy for people and what the reason for that purchase is. And of course... Gifting doesn't need to be just about spending money. It doesn't need to be about buying that item for somebody else. Very often you can gift your own time to people or you can gift a book that you may absolutely adore and you've read it several times and you think the other person would love it too. So you can pass that gift over. Regifting is obviously a big thing nowadays but most people re-gift something that they don't they've been given and they don't like why not think about re-gifting something that you've used and you have liked but you don't you don't need any longer mm. so let's let's think about this and of course what we're talking about here 
is tied around Christmas, but it's not just about Christmas. There are so, so, so many times of the year now, whether it be birthday, whether it be Halloween, whether it be Easter, where people are just saying, bye, bye, bye. The corporates are saying, bye, bye, bye. We're putting things on the shelf. Buy them, buy them. And at the end of the day, it's just about making profit rather than creating truthful and happy memories. Mm. Well, I think it's interesting about advertising and memories, though, isn't it, as well? Because the advertisers also know that they are creating new memories, new Christmas memories for people. You know, if we look back to when we were kids, we can remember the adverts we saw on TV, like the mm. Woolies advert. Do you remember that? The mm, big, mm. big um, showy adverts with a big song, Have a Cracking Christmas at Woolworths, and then a parade of TV stars yeah. uh, modelling all the um, the goodies to buy. And, you know, those things stick in the mind and those feed into that supposed warm fuzzy of um, of nostalgia, which then further drives you to think oh should i buy some presents this year oh maybe i should no 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 no. it's all of that culture and no matter how you feel about it if it makes you feel good then great doesn't make me feel good i just think i'm part of that system mm. that bloody system mm. that you know makes the Christmas economy boom, really. Mm, really, well, I have you know, a. It's all a very real, boring, really. I have a real guilt issue that comes over me when I think about Father Christmas. Um, my, my, I always got presents from Mum and Dad. Always got presents from Mum and Dad, and then of course I also got presents from Father Christmas and they were specifically... Can I just, can I just stop you a second before you no, continue? No, hold that, hold that thought. Yeah, you know what we're going to say. Yeah. If there are any younger listeners, mums and dads with them, maybe they should leave the room. Or maybe not. Or maybe not. Just be careful what you say. So... Um, oh, there aren't any younger listeners. This is explicit. We said fuck. So there won't be. Just, I'm just being careful. I think you should just shut up a minute, really. Oh, sorry, I do apologise. Yeah, you should, yeah, should be apologising to me for butting in. I am apologising to you. So when I found out about Father Christmas, I had a huge guilt pang that came over me, knowing that those presents that Father Christmas had given me had actually cost my parents in one way or another an awful lot of money. And I was getting double presents, if you like, and my parents were involved in both of them. And even now, at the age of 53, going on 54, when I think about how hard my parents worked and how hard they worked to ensure that when I went to the school that I went to, I had a uniform because I, I went to a, a pretty strict school that had a pretty strict uniform. And we had to have these type of socks. We had to have this tie. We had to have oh hundreds of different things. We had to have hockey gear. We had to have football gear. We had to have rugby gear. We had to have swimming gear. We had to have... oh Anyway, the... They worked so hard to make sure that this school I went to, I, I I felt as though I fitted in. And then on top of that, they were working doubly hard to make sure that Father Christmas gave me the right presents as well. And of course, Father Christmas always got me the best presents. And mum and dad got me the second best presents, if you like. And that guilt pang still hangs over me now when I think about these things. Really? Yeah, it does. Well, I think you need to let it go. Well, I think Move I most on. probably do need to let it go, but we see it being played out today even greater than it was 45 years ago when I was a child. 
and people don't have many many people do not have the money to pay for the Christmases that the advertisers and the corporates are selling us mm. and I think that is a major major issue mm. Anyway, this has been a party political broadcast <laughs> on behalf of the anti-Christmas party. <laughs> anyway, having said all of that, I mean, you know, we're not anti-Christmas per se. No. We're not religious. We're not religious. It's no. not a Christian festival. It's a pagan festival. You know, it's been borrowed by the Christians. And uh, we, you know, we don't have anything against that at all. What we have what we're against is the consumerism, the... Um, the commercialisation of the com whole thing. Commercialisation. Commercialisation. Commercialisation of it. Yeah, all of that. But having said that, we do have a Christmas meal on Christmas Day. Oh, we do, We yes. do like to have a sort of big slap-up roast. Mm. Have you thought about what we're having this year? I think we're going to... I, we, I might actually do a Wellington this year. A nut Wellington. Made out of nuts. What, nuts in pastry. Yeah. I think and I might do that. And something else. Yes, of something course. Well, it will moist. be our nut roast. And it will, it will have um, chestnuts in it, roasted chestnuts as well. What about nuts, cranberry and brie? <laughs> it must be about 20 years ago, 15 years ago that we last had those. No, they were brie and cranberry parcels. They were brie and cranberry but parcels. I was thinking of extra ingredients for oh, the Wellington. Yeah, to make it kind of a bit more moist. Yeah. Because I'm... nuts in pastry, really? That doesn't appeal to me. Oh, no, it absolutely gorgeous. Well, it had to have something moist well, yes, to go with it. Well, yes, of course it would be moist. God. Honestly, you don't well, want anything dry, do you? Nice. You want it nice and moist well, in you the do. pastry. And the thing is... If you watched our Christmas special last year, you will have seen that we do, um, most years we do parsnips in Gruyere, don't we? Which is to die Which for. Which is to die for. It's basically roasted parsnips in a Gruyere cheese sauce. And then re Then baked again oh, oh, in the oven. That sounds Until yummy. they're sort of crispy and just delightful and unctuous. <gasps> and then there's word, always... Unctuous. There's always some left over, isn't there? There's always some left over. Oh, that you can have it for the warmed next day. up again. Oh, for Boxing Day. Lovely. You can have it all again. And of course, there are sprouts, <gasps> always. Our sprouts are looking quite wonderful. Are they? They are. Mm, they good. are. In fact, I was going to pick some sprouts to have today, but I picked the Portuguese cabbage. Mmm, lovely. I often wonder, I mean, around this time of year, you know, the... Everybody's feeling a bit tired because it's so dark all the time. I was wondering the other day what would happen if humans actually hibernated for winter. Can you imagine if we'd have evolved to actually hibernate in the winter? Like bears and tortoises. Well, yeah, that we actually prepared to go to sleep for two months or whatever. Um and it, it crossed my mind and I was thinking about it. I was thinking, what would be, what would the infrastructure of our society be like in order to have that happen? Because if everybody was going to hibernate, there would need to be certain things in place, wouldn't there? What do you mean for bodily well, functions? No, things? not necessarily that, Paul. Oh. God, trust you to think about that alone. <laughs> no, I was thinking more about there would need to be preparations. You would need to stock up on certain foods in terms of eating before the hibernation. You'd need to secure your home. The government would need to be prepared for its sort of like two months shutdown. You know, and of course, all humans would do it as well. But it would depend on the season that you were in and whether indeed you had seasons. Because look at countries mm, on the equator. Mm. They don't have the same seasons. No. They go dark at six, light at six. Yeah, yeah. We noticed that in Bali, didn't we? It just you know, went from light to black and back so, again. You know, it would only be sort of the, the countries at the hemispheres that had the, the seasons that would do it. 
maybe even just the northern hemispheres. And yeah, you would need to prepare in some way. The home would need to be secured against marauders. Are you talking about actually hibernating in your home? Or are, yeah. you, are you talking about almost going to sleep for two months? Well, it's the same thing, isn't it? Well, I don't. I mean, in in some northern Scandinavian countries, they they do effectively. No, they don't. No, they don't. Apparently, no, they don't. Nobody goes to sleep for two months. No, not go to sleep, but they are they are effectively village well, they're bound. They're thrust into darkness. They're village bound. They can't get out of their no, village. A, no, 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 no. You're barking up the wrong bloody tree. Mm. I'm not talking anything about that. I'm talking physically going to sleep for two bloody months and having to wear a nappy because you'd still have a, mm, a wee yeah. in there, wouldn't you? Mm. It was just something interesting that passed my mind. I could imagine a, a novel being written about it. You know, some kind of alternative parallel universe where humans evolved to hibernate every winter in certain parts of the, the world. I thought it was interesting anyway. Will Did we, you? Will we need to... Will we need to hibernate for space travel? Well, I don't know. Depends on whether they can ever sort out very, very fast travel. There have been several projects talked about over the years, I believe, where they've thought about having long-term space travel to get to the nearest star system, which would take, a, at normal speeds, would take thousands of years. Mm. So, um, probably, I mean, you know, science fiction is full of those hibernatory practices, isn't it? Mm. I just thought it was an interesting concept, that's all. Just thinking about winter, that was it, mm, really. Talking about winter. What? What are we watching at the moment? His Dark Materials. We have continued with it. There's been some good bits, although overall I'm still a bit meh. find it a bit lacklustre. Yeah, so do I. I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. I, I feel, I don't know. It just doesn't feel real enough or exciting enough for me. Yeah, I think that's the thing. It's not exciting enough. There's been some good bits and I quite like um, the character Mrs. Coulter because she's an evil bitch. Yeah. And I like an evil bitch. Um, she's like, Is it Mrs... Danvers. She's like Mrs. Danvers, isn't she, in well, Rebecca? I think she's a bit more of a bitch than Mrs. Danvers, <laughs> I think you'll find, Paul. Mrs. Danvers was Glinda the Good Witch compared to Mrs. Coulter, really. <laughs> no, we're watching that. And we also started uh, the new BBC adaptation, and I use that word loosely, mm. rewrite, more like, of War of the Worlds, The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells, loosely based on the original classic sci-fi novel. It's called a bloody classic for a reason. Yeah. Because yeah. millions of gazillions of people have read it and enjoyed it. And they've virtually rewritten the whole bloody thing. Well, I think they have rewritten it. Yeah. I mean, I was watching it thinking, I don't remember this from the book. Did I miss a whole section of the book when I read it? And I've skimmed through the beginning. And it, I'm sorry, they've made it all up. Well, they, they have, and I think they've made it up. I mean, when they say loosely adapted or a loose adaptation, it really is. We thought about the title and then decided to write something completely different. And that's exactly what they've done. Yeah. I mean, it kind of, I enjoyed it to a point, but I was slightly confused by a couple of things. Those flash forwards. I mean, the whole story... Yeah in the book, takes part over, I don't know, a couple of months? Yeah, yeah. Max? And this is taking place over years. They've really stretched it out. I, I sometimes get a bit annoyed at the BBC, and I just think to myself, you think you can do it better than mm. the original? Really? Why not focus on the original and really get into the depth of the original story. Yeah, yeah. You know, plunge the depths of that. Don't make stuff up. 
to flesh it out. I'd rather you do one movie, a one-off, you know? It's like the War of the Worlds with the, the film with Tom Cruise. It, it, was, spectac <laughs> it was spectacular, <laughs> but it was just not... I, I it wasn't real. And also the other thing, the other adaptation that really, really pissed me off was um, Alice in Wonderland. Oh, uh, that was again. Yeah. It was a complete rewrite of the story, and that story, the original story, I know inside out because it was one of the books I reread as a child several times. And there are so many bizarre, trippy, um, surreal scenes in that original book that could translate so beautifully onto film and have been done on film and TV before quite well. Um, very successfully. Very successfully. And, you know, I just didn't understand. It was such a missed opportunity. And just everything seems to be, oh, give it more welly. Do it bigger. Do it better. Rewrite it. It'll be better. People will love it. And people generally don't, you know. I thought going back to the BBC adaptation of the War in the Worlds, the, the War, War in of the Worlds, World. War, yeah, should be. You're in. retitling it now. Yeah, Paul. I'm retitling it. Well, might as well do. Well, everybody else has. I had a real um, issue when I was watching it. I wasn't quite sure why it didn't feel right to me when this sphere suddenly took off and started spinning in the air, and then. Just shooting everybody with shooting an invisible death with ray. A, yeah. yeah. But I I couldn't get the the sphere out of my head. It seemed very, very odd. And then it was only when Richard was looking at the uh, synopsis for the original today, it does say it's a cylinder. Well, it's always been a cylinder. A sphere. And it suddenly made sense to me that that's what I found was quite awkward about it. It, it wasn't well, spherical. Well, the cylinder opens and various things come out. You know, including an alien, including a Martian, you know, which looks a bit like an octopus. Yeah. You know, yeah. in the book um, and is described very clearly. You know, you've got the descriptions there. But I mean, it's like the um, Jeff Wayne album in the 70s, which mm. I absolutely love. And it used to scare me to death. Um, I mean, that was a brilliant depiction, even though it was really only a selection of sort of scenes. It wasn't terribly detailed in terms of the story. You know, it was it was scenes strung together with songs, wasn't it, and various characters. Um, but even that gave you more of a sense of the original book as compared to this adaptation. So... Mm. Mm. And where, do, where does it land? Horsell Common. Where's that? Near Woking. And he seems to be travelling so easily up and down from Horsell Com Common to London and back. The Lee character, going up and seeing his brother, going into work, coming back. Yeah, the sense of time it's is, really is lost. sort of lost, isn't it? Because in the book, he has to... I think he goes everywhere by on foot. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think... I'm trying to remember. And there is a real sense of time passing, him having to hide out in various places and the people that he meets on the way and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I'm I'm just not feeling it. BBC, mm, I, I just feel as though they're a law unto themselves, the BBC. I mean, they have done some great reworkings. Okay. Some of the early, not the early, but a couple of years ago, they did a couple of Agatha Christie's where they reworked it and they really were quite masterful. And then they did another one which sort of just didn't work. Um, mm. I don't know. I, I, I still think that ITV makes the best drama. I... You see, I wouldn't know an Agatha Christie if it hit me in the face. That's the problem. If I watch something on TV and it works, then it's great. And I guess a lot of people haven't read War of the Worlds. 
And they won't really or, know. What, or heard the album. Yeah, and they won't know what the story is, and therefore they're coming to it completely new. Yeah, and therefore they'll be like, oh, yeah, great. So, I don't know, it, but it detracts from the original creativity. It, well, it, you know, it that does, was a, yeah. That was a blockbuster of its time. Yeah. You know, as the other novels by H.G. Wells were as well like the time machine and all of that. So <gasps> Love the do you know what I mean? Machine. It's I don't know it, it I almost think well poor HG Wells. Mm. He must mm. be turning in his grave. Mm. Really. You know, and if there's any relatives left, I wonder what they think. Well, I assume he's out of copyright now, isn't oh, he anyway? Probably. So they probably. won't have to pay. I mean, this is the thing for novels that are I'm not quite sure what what it is. I think in some countries it's 75 years, in other countries it's 100 years. Um, but once you once a novel has gone over that a certain time scale, you don't have to pay rights to to use the story. Mm. And um, certainly all of those old novels are are, are in that category. I mean, that's what happened with Peter Pan, wasn't it? J.M. Ba- Barry's Peter Pan, which was delivering so much um, income for Great Ormond Street Hospital because the rights were gifted to Great Ormond Street Hospital. And I think when the rights did come up, the then government extended the rights for a specific period of time and then when the rights were again to be extended i i think they weren't extended by the government and i think great ormond street lost out income from that mm. but yeah it's a it's it's interesting there are so many novels i mean there's one of the people that i know is this guy andrew Niederman who wrote devil's advocate um, he wrote the book and the book is really great. But the ending of the film, I think, sorry, Andrew, I think the ending of the film is far, far better than the ending of the book. You've said that before. I know. So, mm. Sorry, Andrew. Yeah, but, you know, anyway, it's, I don't know, taking people's original ideas and changing them because you think they're better and you put it before a load of people who you've questioned and they all seem to say it's better. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. It um, sticks in my craw, frankly. But anyway, that's it really, isn't it? We've put that to bed. We've mm. put that to bed now. And we're going to put ourselves to bed shortly. Are we? Yes, we are. All oh, right. Because this is only going to be 55 minutes long today, folks. Oh. Yeah. So, yes, so that's that's it for this week's podcast. Thank you very much for listening. And remember, there's Sunday chat on Sunday, Sunday on our YouTube channel. And remember, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Planet here, Vegetarian. Planet Vegetarian, which is a Facebook group by Richard and Paul. Richard and Paul since 2017. That's contractual. <laughs> so, yes, there we are. Thank you very much for tuning in here on SoundCloud and various other platforms as well. Oh, we're now on Sounder, apparently. I got an email today saying that. Oh, lovely. Do you know what Sounder is? I have no idea. No, not me. So um, thank you very much and we will see you very soon. Bye for now. Take care. Have a great, great weekend. Bye. Bye for now. Bye.